Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to Let Freedom Reign podcast. Before we get started, I just want to let you know, this episode is brought to you by Buckaroo Media, a digital marketing company that focuses on social media that cultivates relationships between brands and their customers. Buckaroo Media prides themselves on building genuine and authentic connections. Digital marketing doesn't have to be overwhelming or overly time-consuming. With Buckaroo Media on your team, you are free to focus on the areas of your business which you are most passionate about, and let Buckaroo Media handle the rest. Check them out on Instagram at buckaroo.media or Facebook at Buckaroo Media. For more information about Buckaroo Media and how they can grow your Western brand, visit buckaroomedia.com. B-U-C-K-A-R-O-O-M-E-D-I-A.com. Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to the first episode launch of 2020. It is great to be back, and we have been quite busy over the last couple months. I think our last episode was recorded in early December, and I wanted to give you kind of a heads up as to where we have been and what we've been doing. So back in September when we were on the road at Heart of the Horse, we got a phone call from our real estate agent saying that there was a ranch available not too far from where we lived at the time. We looked over the property, did a little research, and decided we were going to make a go at it. So I called the realtor back, told her it was a go, and the ball started to roll. Fortunately for me, I have an amazing real estate agent and an amazing general contractor that took very good care of us in getting our home ready for sale and made that sale happen in a relatively short amount of time. Never did I think I would own land in California based on the real estate market and ever-growing cost of living. As all these dreams become a reality, you can't help but feel an amazing level of gratitude for God's grace, the perfection of His plan, and all the amazing opportunities He's provided in life. Now with the purchase of an old ranch home come all the challenges with updating the property and getting things right. Over the last several weeks, we've had many walls built, we've had a bunch of electrical moved around, and we even had to replace a propane line supplying the property. That being said. The dust is starting to settle, and now we can get focused back on the podcast and developing this horse property. In 2020, we'd like to develop the structure of the show here at Let Freedom Rain Podcast. We're going to start placing an emphasis on featuring at least one business a month, a business that's influential in the Western industry. We're going to further develop our Life Enrichment series titled A Little More Rain, where we sit down and place an emphasis on life development skills. The skills could be horsemanship, it could be business, it could be faith. And as always, we will continue to bring you some of the best people that the equine industry has to offer. Starting off 2020 is a creator and owner of Total Feeds, Dr. Harry Anderson. Dr. Anderson and I met a couple years back while I was riding out in Texas. We sat down and had an in-depth conversation on equine nutrition and the dietary demands of the performance horse. From the first second I spoke with Dr. Anderson, you could feel his passion and fire for the subject. He was extremely accommodating and spent all the time he could helping me better understand the needs of the horse. This is not an endorsed statement or episode, but I personally use Total Equine with my horse, and the benefits have been incredible since day one. For more information, I encourage you to visit TotalFeeds.com, where there's a list and explanation of all of their products, videos, and links to all of their social media. If you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our opening episode of 2020 and our conversation with Dr. Harry Anderson. 
actually a, a new product that we just acquired um, after many years of, of working with these people in Canada in developing this product called Equine 15, <clears throat> which is an adjunct to any feeding program, but it's the only supplement that that uh, I ever recommend using on top of Total Equine, and it's a very, very simple, natural product that is uh, made up of a, a natural sulfur that's mined in, in Alberta, refined and then mixed with uh, lignin sulfonate, um, and put you know put in jars, if you will, for the equine, and you add five grams of that to the a horse feed every day, which uh, is very very small amounts, one little teaspoon, and the the results are unbelievable as far as what we're seeing. And I knew this for the years of playing with it before we could get it into the United States, mm-hmm. and we're uh, we're actually. Uh, getting reports back of things like it totally stops EPM problems. Really, it 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 is it changing the vicular back horses back to full use. Uh, laminitic horses back to full use. Uh, these horses that have the heaves or those chronic coughs that they can develop, they uh, are within 24 to 48 hours of, of starting this product. Those are gone. The coughs, the heaves are gone. And we have uh, different reports about sarcoids disappearing, uh, shrinking up and going away. Uh, in the early days before it was clear here, I was uh, using experimentally on specific uh, cases with people, and we saw it clear up skin cancer on horses. Really? Uh, it, it's, it's an unbelievable product that we're bringing to the market. And it's going to be uh, the only add-on to our program that I've ever recommended. That's incredible. So how long have you guys been working with this or, or working to try to get it over here? I mean, as far as the research and development and trying to trying to um, quantify this product as being, being legit and beneficial? Twelve years. Wow. So it's been a long time coming. Yes. I've worked with this company from their very start. Because they they called me in as you know as uh, a reference, um, a guide, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I knew uh, I worked with one of the stockholders, and so over the years, off and on, I've I've been with them and I've suggested things to them and followed their research. And it, here it is, finally. It's incredible. The, the interest in it is growing rapidly. Where it's going to mushroom. <laughs> well, it's funny. We talked a lot on this show. Uh, how so many people ask the world of their horses, right? And I think of it from a human athletic standpoint, being a former athlete. I mean, everything, every part of your day was focused on performance, right? How you eat, how you sleep, how you warm up, how you recover, all that stuff. And it seems over the last maybe decade or so, things are really, really starting to catch up as far as all of these supplemental programs for horses, right? Making sure that their muscles are prepared, making sure that their diet supports whatever's being asked of them. And it's incredible to see how much more we're getting out of the horse. I mean, they're an amazing creature, an amazing creature. But now that us as the humans and the owners and caretakers are starting to support their causes as an animal with diet and training programs, it's it's just Incredible to watch how fast these horses are developing, how much more quicker they're getting, and how much more athletic they're getting, and how much more muscle they're carrying, and even the longevity of life, right? Absolutely. I've, I've, I've had uh, people 
customers going back. Actually, before I started the Total Feeds company per se, I started uh, uh, manufacturing this product in the year 2000 in the pelleted form instead of the um, extruded form that you see today. That came about eight years later. And during that time, I had customers that were using the pelleted form and swore by it, uh, ranches and some larger operations. And uh, one of those very first customers I had that has gone through everything I've done has made the statement to people that, uh, and, and he runs 20 some horses on, on a ranch. These are ranch horses. He, he tells people that he gets four to five years more usable life out of his horses than he used to. That's amazing. And, I, and when you're working that many horses, right, to make a living, that's a huge, huge savings in having to buy horses four and five years earlier, right? And ro- or rotate some out. Right. And, and so, so part of, part of his program is, um, he's a well-known breeder and they, of course, they, they market their horses. And so he can sell more horses. Correct. And he still has enough to keep, keep using. And we're keeping horses, um, when you mentioned the lifespan change, we have horses right now in the United States that are have lived three, four, five years longer than they would have than when they were going to have to put them down because mm-hmm. they could not eat hay anymore. And when it used to be that if they can't eat hay, they're pretty well done with life. Yeah. Now, now we are keeping them alive. We've kept them alive, you know, well into their forties, uh, because once they 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 can't eat hay anymore. We tell people, don't worry about it. Yeah. You just feed totally, totally equine at eight or nine pounds a day. And uh, the horses all of a sudden are looking better, performing better, feeling younger, acting younger, and they live way longer. It's incredible. I've personally seen it in my horse, and later on in our conversation, we'll get into kind of how I got wrapped up into total feeds and, and started to, to inquire about it. But I've had those same exact comments with my horse after starting the product is just that is it it's almost like the the timeline of the horse uh the the pause button was pressed you know he just he's not aging as rapidly he's fresh he's he's well i love I love the comments of people that uh, tell me you know i I had this thirty uh, year old horse or thirty two year old horse or whatever it is, and I put it on total equine because it was really losing its muscle mass and getting sway back da, 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 and all of a sudden it looks and acts like it's 15 or 16. Yeah. It's incredible. I've, I've seen I it. I've personally seen it. Yeah. So <laughs> before we get too far down any rabbit hole, I would like to touch on your history and kind of how you, how you worked through your professional career to, to now owning total feeds. We're almost 20 years in with the business, correct? Yes. I've been doing this part of it for about 20 years, but uh, going back into my history, um, well, it, uh, this may not be of interest, but uh, I started I started getting my experiences as a youngster for what I'm doing today. And, and when I think back, that's where where it really all started is was my keen interest in working with and helping people and selling. I was selling, uh, raising animals and selling and marketing stuff when I was eight and ten years old. Uh, without knowing what I was doing, uh, <laughs> on, on a, I was born on a, 
on a small farm in northern North Dakota during World War II in 1943. Uh, so th at that time, there was very little money and, you know, things. everybody was uh, poor, but they didn't think about it. But we had uh, we had all kinds of opportunities to uh, work with animals and so on. So my, my first uh, venture in the business world was uh, uh, raising uh, baby chicks and at the age of like 11 or 12 years old and uh, and raising them by confiscating grain out of my parents' grain bins. <laughs> <laughs> borrowing, right? And, borrowing. It's an investment. Yeah, the the uh, input was very low. And uh, and then uh, one summer I, I processed, I hired some ladies from town. At that age, I hired some ladies from town and that helped, they helped me process 500 chickens and then I sold those and peddled them in the community. Oh, wow. That, that was a, that was a fun, fun adventure. And then, um, at the, um, when I was like 12 or 13, before I was allowed to drive on the highway, um, <laughs> I, I was, uh, I was out, I could drive the back roads and get to all the neighbors and so on. And I was selling seed corn. No and, kidding. And I didn't think a thing of it of what I was doing at the time, but, I, I was developing lifetime skills that, that served me today, you know, seven, uh, 65 years later or 60 years later. It's incredible um, when you think about the history of it, right? How many people have these young experiences or these experiences at young age and you're doing it for entertainment, you're doing it for survival, you're doing it because it's fun, yet it's not until the latter parts of your life that you start to look back and say, hey, you know, this was the foundation of who I am today. Right, right. And... uh one of the, one of the things that uh, that I uh, <clears throat> actually going back, I, I was born in a one room house, and and it was dirt poor country, but but that's that's immaterial. Uh, my uh, and and I I really uh, fought education. <laughs> it took me many years to understand that education would have any importance in my life because all I wanted to do is farm. I sat and stared out the window uh, through my grade school years and they couldn't figure out what, what was wrong with me because I could, they could never get my attention. Mm -hmm. And, and in high school, I graduated from a, a small high school uh, with, in a class of 14. And, and I was uh, somewhere in the bottom third of that class, <laughs> probably voted the most unlikely to ever succeed. So, um, uh, Boy, yeah. has the tide turned on that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, they um, they did have to let me into college because uh, I went to a state supported school, and they had to let me start there and try it. <laughs> and uh, they tried to to uh, to ask they asked me to leave once after my first year, but I was tenacious. That made me angry, so I I picked up um, and kind of got things together and. I was in a liberal school, so to speak, a university of North Dakota, and uh, that wasn't fitting me. So I, I had I worked really hard the second year to get my grades up so I could transfer to where I could go to land grant school, North Dakota State University, where I could work, where I could uh, study animal agriculture, and that's where everything really started for me in my path for education and, and vocation, if you will. So what do you then, think, uh, um, when you were in school, what do you think for you kind of lit that spark? Was it the the culmination of your desires to be a farmer, 
you know, paralleling or meeting with education at that point? Or, or what do you think was that kind of light bulb moment that got things rolling for you as far as formal education goes? Well, it, yes, you're, you're, you're right. It was where I, I realized that if I, if I wanted to be, you know, in the animal agriculture or in the farming sector, uh, education could be a benefit. Then I started, you know, then I realized, uh, especially when I finally got started into studying those, that curriculum in college, I said, wow, you know, this has some meaning. And uh, so I went on and I, I got a bachelor's degree. Uh, and uh, even then I started kind of uh, uh, slow because I was working a full-time job and trying to go to school full-time. And that wasn't working well. But then uh, after I was there one year, I got married to my uh, childhood neighbor girl uh, <laughs> born on, this, on neighboring farms. And uh, suddenly my grades, my grades went from mediocre to straight A. <laughs> Interesting. A little drive now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I think there was an incentive there. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, but, but then I uh, really, the, the continued education after my bachelor's degree was, was almost by accident. When I was getting down to my last uh, uh, part of the, my senior year when I was going to graduate, I started, started looking at a jobs course, and, well, I didn't see anything I liked. There were, you know, I could have, I could have had jobs, and, and not that they're bad jobs, but I could have, you know, looked at um, a bank job or mm-hmm. assistant county agent or something like that, which were fine jobs, but something didn't click with me. And, and one day, a graduate student that was... Uh, uh, there at the same school, he pointed to the bulletin board and said, you know, have, have you ever looked at that uh, uh, graduate program in South Dakota State? There's a fellowship there that's available. It, and I said, I have no idea what a fellowship is, yeah. and I have no idea what an advanced degree would take. Yeah. I took a number off there and, and called them. They sent me the paperwork, and within a couple of weeks, I was enrolled in graduate school, I had no idea what I was doing. Well, here we go again, huh? Yeah, I packed up and uh, moved to South Dakota State University in Brookings, South Dakota, and launched into a uh, a PhD program because that's what what this thing was was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I said, "Whoa, I, I had no idea about PhD program." So I I go in there and I start the coursework, and that's when I really got excited because these were absolutely core things that I use every day today. Um, when I when I got into the uh, advanced physiology and biochemistry and those things, the whole world started to make sense. And so I launched into that with vengeance, like I did everything else. And um, then they, they started talking about, they said, you know, uh, we need to think about your uh, master's degree program on the way, you know, and what what you want to do for that? And I said, I came here to get a PhD. I yeah. didn't come here to get yeah. an answer degree. And so they said, well, you know. So my advisor and I had about a 30-minute oh, discussion one day, and he finally he said, all right, we'll try it with you. You don't have to get a master's. You just go straight on. No kidding. And That's what I was going to say. No master's degree when you first mentioned it. So I, so I uh, – I, I went ahead and I got my PhD and and then and when I, I've checked back since and they've never done it with anybody else. Oh geez. I guess 
I guess that showed me that I could uh, be convincing. Yeah. And I was a pretty good salesman. I was going to say, here comes a salesman in you, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, so I ended up with a PhD in swine nutrition, which uh, which at the time was the one that I had the money for. I mean, that's where they wanted me to go. So I did. And I, and when I got out, I thought, you know, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be a swine nutritionist. I'm going to go do research and I'm going to save the swine industry with <laughs> all my fancy research that I'm going to do. Absolutely. I've never worked with swine since. <laughs> As with most most formal education degrees, right? You get that piece of paper and then you walk off and before you know it, you're in a completely different industry. Right. And the next thing that came about kind of almost by accident well, that that I cherish is uh, the fact that when I graduated, and that was in, would have been in 1970, uh, at that time, there were like 60-some um, applicants to every job out there for pH nutritionist. I mean, it was saturated. I would say it's so, incredible to hear that, that that level of education, right, was such a saturated market. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's ever happened before or since, but it, it was incredible. So I, I was really at the end of my rope when along came an opportunity. Uh, someone said that there was a, a very uh, extension man retiring in Wyoming. Uh, I had a uh, I got someone that had graduated ahead of me was already out there, and he said, "You need to look at this." So, so I did, and and um, they uh, they hired me at the University of Wyoming as an associate professor uh, with for a dairy and swine extension special, state specialist, and so I had no idea what I was doing. I packed up my family. I just we just had our second son. Six, six months before that, moved out to Laramie, Wyoming, and, and they, they, they gave me the keys to a um, state car and said, well, you need to go to this county. They, they need some help. And I said, okay, let me get my feet on the ground first. Exactly. But I learned on the job out there. That, yeah. And it, it, the reason I say I cherish that uh, experience is uh, I tell people, I got my education uh, or I got my degree at South Dakota State University, I got my education in Wyoming. Yeah, and I ended up working with the swine and dairy extension program, plus the uh, 4-H equine program, and they even did some uh, work with the sheep and, and cattle industry in Wyoming. You got to do it all, and so it was phenomenal experience and showed me how flexible we could be uh, with with a, a degree, we don't have to focus on just one or two species. Uh, so I spent three years there and they were, they were good years, but uh, um, if I would have stayed there, I would have been on starvation diet uh, because, because uh, they didn't have to pay people very well at the University of Wyoming at that time because people would come there and be on the staff because they liked to hunt and fish. Oh. And there were two or three of them that hadn't had a raise in years, and and uh, you couldn't drive them out of there, you know, because they could hunt and fish. And so uh, that that's where I got my feet on the ground and, and got my bearings and understood a lot of things about uh, teaching people. And that's where I I got the thing that I still believe today that selling through education and not just sales education and teaching people 
the technology will is the most important part of a sales presentation. And that's what that 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 was personally my biggest draw when we met, you know, many years ago out there in Texas and kind of talked about some circumstances. My horse was coming off a of colic surgery. We think it was an impaction caused by dehydration. And never once did I feel in that conversation that you were trying to sell me a product ever, right? It was always uh, educational based and talking, you know, different scenarios that could have caused it. And obviously we'll never know, but the education is what, what motivated me to start looking into equine diet on a deeper level, you know, and, and from that conversation started doing a lot more research in support of what you were, what you were mentioning. And, and it has really driven me to to go back and and go through my horse's diet and find out what we need, what we don't need, what are we overfeeding, what are we underfeeding, and try to find that combination of what works for this specific horse. And and that's what I've always admired about you is that you come from an education background, but you push it through and through. It's never a sales pitch for the sake of profit. Yeah, and that that's what I tell people. And, and you bring up a point there that uh, um, people, you know, they. There's always this talk about different companies, how they formulate and how they change formulas, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I tell people, this is, this is my basic philosophy about formulation and marketing. This, this product, just this a little part about this product. When I formulate a product for a, a species, and that, by the way, I have one product for each species, and the, uh, I formulate the best maximum for that animal, whatever it takes to be the, the very, very best for that animal, and then I make the formula, and I get it priced, I put it in the market, and if you as a producer or as a customer, potential customer, say, uh, I can't afford that, I say, I apologize for that, but I will not make a, a less cost, less performance product just so you can buy it. If you if you can't afford to buy my program, um, I appreciate you looking at it, but uh, you know you might want to look at something else. And but if you will try it, you will find out it's the, the most economical program there is. And that's you, you hit the nail on the head with the economical portion of it because when you start looking into how many supplements people pump into their horses. Um, oftentimes it's in excess or like you talked about, it's inferior product. So it's not doing what it could potentially be doing if it was a higher quality product. I mean, if you're feeding six and seven and eight different supplements, are, are you really producing a cost effective diet for your horse when in fact, and this was just in my experience, you know, I'm spending a lot more money on numerous supplements. And, and when I went to total equine, I was saving myself money and producing a better diet for my horse. Yes, and that, that uh, that's a very good point too because I run across people all the time that uh, they they say, well, okay, if I feed totally equine, do I need to feed this hoof supplement? I said, no. Do I need to feed this uh, ulcer preventive? No. Do I need to feed this to keep the anxiety down? No. And it doesn't take very many of those questions. Then no. I say, are you getting the, the point? Yeah. You know, why why do you go to the feed store, buy a product or a so-called program, and uh, before you go home, you buy two, three, four, five 
top dresses or supplements to go along with it. I mm-hmm. said, that, doesn't, mm-hmm. that never made any sense to me why you would have to do that. When I, when I formulated this, I sat down one day, and by the way, when, when uh, I, I was challenged with making this initially in the year 2000, I, I sat down one day and I put down everything on a piece of paper that I kind of experienced and, and I seen in, in literature, etc., and wrote out a formula. The year 2000, that formula is exactly the same with a few minor additions to make it better, but basically it, it is the same formula in today. I don't ever change the formula. And, and when I, I made up my mind, I looked at everything a horse ever required, and I, and I put everything that I could find that's required by a horse into that formula the first time, and, and so far I've covered all the bases. And that maybe was luck. I don't know. Uh, I think there was a lot of luck and there was a lot of help from, from, uh, from up above that got me into this. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, in, in my experiences with you, the passion is there. The fire is there, right? You're, you're coming from the heart. This wasn't a startup business that you started in your mid-20s, right? Right out of college. This is something that was given a lot of thought. There was a lot of experience, right? There was many, many years of trials and tribulations in the consulting industry, right, as related to to animal nutrition that went into the formulation of what Total Feeds is today, you know? And I think that's what that's what drives the function of the product. Oh, absolutely. And and anybody uh, wanting to talk, thinking about starting a program or company like this, uh, I tell them the first thing you have to do is you have to have uh, the passion for whatever you're doing. The second thing is you have to have something you developed yourself or were involved with so you really believe in it. Once you have those two in place, the rest will will follow. And then if you're willing to work seven days a week, you'll probably make it work. I would say that's the kicker right there, right? Is it once you go to that entrepreneurial side of work, uh, there's not really business hours. You're always no. open. This is a great caveat, though. Uh, I want to talk about the formation of, of Total Feeds uh, when it first got started there in 2000. And obviously, the, the focus of this episode is to provide some education into equine diet. But I think you offer a lot of entrepreneurial experience that could help people because so many people in the equine industry, right, are trainers, they're working for themselves, they're farriers. I mean, there's a lot that can be learned from the experiences of growing total feed. So if you don't mind, let's talk about the start. Let's talk about some of the progressions, some of the learning lessons and learning points that you had throughout the years and, and how you got to where you got today as far as being a business owner. Sure. Yes. I I had no, I had not planned on ever owning a business like this or especially a feed company because I worked for a feed company for 15 years back in the um, dark ages uh, in, <laughs> <laughs> in the mid 70s and, and through the 80s uh, and uh, I, I saw things that I didn't like about corporate America and so I, I walked away and I was consulting nutritionist uh, but as far as uh, how this progressed when when I first realized that I had something that was of value, because I was consulting at the time when I started doing this, I was doing feedlot consulting. That, that basically all I did every day of the week, and and this this became a little sideline where I I bought myself a small trailer, got some of the feed made, this formula made, 
in in an alfalfa plant actually in Nebraska, and and I would carry it in my trailer, and I'd get you know sell it to some of the people that I uh, met along the way, and and some of my consulting accounts tried it, and boy they liked it. I mean they started bragging about this what they were doing for the horses. I said wow I what in the world's going on here, and uh, then the other thing about business is, it, it, that started about then too is the person that came to me and wanted me to do this uh, wanted to be the marketing person for this product. And uh, that, that was a veterinarian. And, and I said, okay, I'll make it, I'll get it all done. You, you market it, you do, you do that. And uh, that little partnership cost me money and fell apart just as a little bit of history. Uh, I'm not big on partnerships anymore. Yeah. And to be uh, challenging and, to say the least. Oh yeah. And, uh, but so I was packing this around and I'd carry it one bag at a time and put it in their tech room, you know, here and there. And, and I did that for eight years. Uh, and then, uh, and that was when I was making it in the pelleted form, which I thought was, you know, the way to go. And it was working. People, like I said, people were saying positive things about it. Then, Somebody challenged me to look at the extruded process, which is quite different. Um, if you're not familiar with the difference between pellets and extrusion, uh, a lot of people are not. When you make a pellet, you grind uh, material real fine to improve the digestibility. But then you can't feed that in the fine powdery form, so you put it in a pellet. You, you put it through a pellet die, put some pellet binder in it, you stuff it in there, and you get that nice, pretty, shiny little pellet that you buy in the feed store. That's fine. But the digestibility of those is only about 70%. And uh, the, the, the digestibility of the extrusion process, when you grind it real fine, you put it through a hot pipe and with a little moisture and temper, high, high temperature. And when you force it through little tiny, tiny holes at the end of that tube, it explodes all the starch and fiber. The uh, starch and fiber then become more uh, available to the enzymatic processes in the small intestine. They, that's where we want all of the starch to disappear in an equine diet. We don't ever want starch to get in the hind gut because when, it, when raw starch from pellets or sweet feeds or whatever uh, that don't get dissolved and digested in the small intestine, they get into the hind gut, they ferment. The bacteria ferment them very, very rapidly. We get a lot of gas and a lot of lactic acid produced. And it's that methane and carbon dioxide from fermentation of carbohydrates that causes, and too much of it, I should say, because there's always some, too much of it causes the gas colic, which we see about. And the lactic acid, high levels of that, and surges especially, they cause the foundering. And so uh, we eliminated that possibility when we started extruding it. And all of that starch disappears in the small intestine. Even part of the soil, the fiber becomes soluble and is used there too. So the only thing that gets in the hind gut is, is the fiber from total equine. And that's why you can feed only total equine in any quantity you want, anywhere from four pounds to free choice. And, and people do it. There, there are horses out there today that are eating free choice total equine and no hay. 
no founder, no colleague, because we have taken that those items out of the diet before it gets to the hind gut. So that that is uh, part of our uh, success is being able to be the safest thing possible to feed a horse, the most flexible thing there is to feed a horse, and it will fit any horse there is on the planet. I have yet to have uh, anywhere, any type of horse, any size, any shape, any breed, any function, or donkeys or mules, doesn't matter, uh, tell me that total equine does not improve their animals if fed in, in enough quantity and if fed with decent quality roughage at the slow level or feed free choice. In fact, I have uh, a lot of my professional people I work with today, not just professional, but people that uh, don't have a blade of hay in their stable. That's they incredible. But how how atypical is that, right? When you think about the history of, of horses and even cattle, right? I mean, hay is is the staple, right? It used to be, oh, all we do is alfalfa, right? And then we start mixing in more grasses as kind of the evolution takes place. And now we're getting to a point in this industry where it might even be irrelevant. Yes. we. Uh, I'd, I'd say the, uh, the probability that uh, seven or eight years ago before I got started doing this, again by accident, would have been basically zero. Uh, I mean, I have... Uh, I, I talk to especially professional people about this, and um, I get I see them break into a cold sweat when I start to describe it. Yeah, uh, I mean, you're going to kill them. <laughs> Their first response: you're going to kill them. Okay, and don't tell that to all these people who are using it because <laughs> they might get scared. <laughs> but uh, uh, I literally started this about seven or eight years ago with an, an older horse in the East Coast. Oh, Bailey he was a uh, draft cross, 1,500-plus-pound draft cross that his teeth were, were basically gone, and they were going to put him down one fall. And I said, whoa, 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 but let's just not get excited here. Uh, let's just feed him nothing but total equine and see what happens. And uh, he was 37 at that time, and he died when he was in his 40th year, wow. and he hadn't had a, a bite of hay in three years. And they said, unbelievable, okay. unbelievable. And so from there, we just started. And we have a lot of rescue units today across the United States that have learned about this. And here's how they use it. They get skeletons in. You've seen pictures of them. You've probably seen some that uh, they're, they're walking death. Mm-hmm. And and uh, but, and sometimes uh, I mean, we've even had horses that couldn't that they couldn't get out of the trailer because they couldn't walk when they got them there. But anyway, when they get them in. They just take a whole bag and they put in the corner of the, in a trough in the corner of the pen, make sure they have water and they walk away and they let that horse eat basically all it'll eat for at least three weeks. And we've never had a report of a horse having any kind of digestive problems doing that. And not to say that Someday they're not, we're going to have one, but in 10 years with, you know, of the extruded product, no, we, we have yet to have a call that said they heard a horse. And uh, so, but, but you know, going back to the, the No Hay program, we, we are really uh, putting that out there to help people 
in two ways. One is if they are having a struggle getting decent uh, hay. And, and hay, buying hay uh, has to be a problem in most parts of the country, getting consistently good quality hay. If you're concerned about quality, which can really foul up your program, you don't have to, to use it. Or in places where uh, hay gets extremely expensive, like where I'm sitting in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> they, they've been, even early, early in the uh, fall, they were, I was hearing stories about paying 12 to $15 for a two string bale of hay. Well, if you do the economics on it, if you, you will feed eight or nine pounds of total equine and forget, forget the hay, you will save about $2 a day. So does that not make sense? And oh, then, absolutely. Then, From a financial standpoint, I mean, even a, a dietary standpoint, right? You're supporting that horse's diet in a far greater fashion, far more consistently than buying cut to cut, you know, even and, if you're buying from you, the same supplier. Right. And, and if you want to talk about, you know, um, I'm not an environmentalist, but if you want to talk about saving resources. Yeah. You, if you're going to feed, uh, instead of uh, 20 pounds of hay, you're going to feed an extra four pounds or four or five pounds of total equine. Uh, think of the uh, environmental resources that you are going to alleviate, uh, which, uh, which we need, all we need to be aware of. And, and then the waste, because a lot of that 20 to 25 pounds of hay they feed, in most cases that I see, especially I live in a community here that, where they put round bales out in a round bale feeder, they don't they don't get more than sixty to sixty five percent of that hay in the animal. They they walk on the rest of it. I was saying when you're counting dollars and cents, that's a big deal, right? Because how much of it's going to mold or waste or getting stomped into the mud? Exactly, and, and this is a point that I like to get people to understand when you when you see one of those uh, hay rings where they have there's hay rounded outside where they pulled it out and dropped it and so on. Um, it doesn't work like a lot, but the minute they walk on it, it disappears, and you don't see how much there is out there that's mm-hmm. wasted. Mm-hmm. You get yeah. stomped into the yeah. ground, and it starts to ferment and turn into manure all by itself. Yeah, it starts the digestion <laughs> process. Yeah, that's right. Nature will take care of it. Exactly, exactly. That's the evolution of. Good stuff. So. Obviously, with the with the evolution of this product, right, and we, we talk about its early development in the 2000s and how it was introduced, and now we're getting to the, the point of almost free choice feeding it. I mean, what what is in store for, for Total Feeds here in the future? Well, well, uh, I, I really uh, don't see any improvement needs to be made in the product or products themselves. Uh, they will stay constant unless – Unless there's some little additive thing or something I learn, like I mentioned, you know, that it's basically the same formula, but I've made minor changes mm-hmm. to improve it. The minor changes have been like uh, changing a form of uh, trace mineral or changing, uh, you know, adding a little more of a, a mineral uh, that for like magnesium. I've, I've added a little more magnesium over the years, and I've also gone to chelated magnesium. Uh, that uh, is far, far more bioavailable than any other form. And, um, you know, that, that is, uh, and, and I've, cause I've, I have the two, the two major things that I, I, well, to, 
to explain my, my three things that I think are the most important part of my program that have been there since day one. Uh, one is the extrusion process, which makes it very, very digestible in small intestine. But uh, number two is the presence of uh, my use of chelated trace minerals. And for those people who, who don't understand trace mineral value, uh, here, here's an important lesson. If you, if you look at some of the major feed companies uh, and look at the feed tag, uh, you will still find zinc oxide and zinc sulfate on those tags. That those are chemical forms or physical forms that, that uh, we have used ba way back, actually before my time in the feed industry. Uh, they were the sources of like uh, zinc, and I use that as the example. Zinc oxide is about 15% bioavailable. And define bioavailable if people are bioavailable aware. is the percentage of that mineral that goes into the body that actually ends up in the bloodstream. You know where the rest goes. The rest goes out the exhaust pipe. Yes, sir. And 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 the zinc sulfate came along, uh, and that was that bumped it up to around fifty. Well, you can see reports of anywhere from forty to fifty, sixty percent. It does, you know, it varies with the animal. So you had to put a lot of that in there, but still you uh, weren't getting the levels in the blood you we could have had. Now, along came uh, amino acid complexes and proteinates and things that were connected with amino acids or a protein molecule, which made them more bioavailable, probably bumped it up in the 80% somewhere in there. And, and I used those in the feed art industry when they came on the market back in the um, again, in the dark ages, in, in the uh, mid-70s and early 80s, and, but that even they uh, weren't as good as the ones I use. And a chelate, a chelate is a, a, a mineral, a trace mineral, a trace mineral that's attached to an amino acid. And it's attached in a way, because the amino acids have uh, two uh, negative charges on them, and because the uh, all of the trace minerals have positive charges on them, two positive charges, they lock together. And that's what it means is that they lock together and become inert or they're non-reactive. And you say, well, if they're non-reactive, what good are they? But here's a, here's a little lesson. And, and I have a chart, flow chart that kind of shows this, but when, um, when minerals in general, calcium, phosphorus, potassium, trace minerals, zinc, mang manganese, magnesium, etc., uh, enter the stomach. They, uh, when they first get into the stomach, they don't react with anything in the higher pH uh, in the first part of the stomach. But when they get into a, the acid part where it's producing a lot of acid, all of a sudden, the, the whatever is attached to that mineral is released or let go, and the mineral becomes very reactive it carries its charges again and when it so it's as long as it's in that acid media it carries that charge and when it goes into the small uh the first part of the small intestine uh, it it uh has to find because uh, it's still acid uh the first six or seven feet in a in a equine intestine 
it has to react with or attach to a carrier protein, if you will. Mm-hmm. And now it's attached to something, and this carrier protein is a protein molecule that will go through the intestinal wall into the bloodstream. But you only have that short period of time. Out of about 80 or 90 feet of small intestine, it's the first six or seven feet where they have to be absorbed because the minute they pass into out of the duodenum part of the small intestine going to the jejunum, which is the second section, is about 30 or 40 feet long, uh, the pH starts to go up, starts to become alkaline again. And the minute it starts to become alkaline, they no longer can be absorbed. They attach to some some other type of um, uh, identity that will carry them out the back end of the horse. So the efficiency is very, very critical by how quickly they're released from a pellet or from the uh, this kibble that dissolves in two minutes versus a pellet that dissolves in an hour. Uh, it releases those. That's one thing. But secondly, this chelated trace mineral does not react in, in the stomach at all. It goes through the acid part of the stomach, totally unreactive, goes into the first part of the small intestine, totally unreactive. It gets into the jejunum part the, when the pH is going up. And, but from there on, it has the ability for that, uh, that amino acid to carry it through the intestinal tract anywhere along there. And so it's, it's almost 100% bioavailable. And, and that's, I, I use that in uh, my, my zinc, manganese, um, the uh, magnesium and the copper, uh, selenium are all in that form so that they are almost 100% used by the animal. And, and uh, all of this circles back to the efficiency, right? I mean, you go from totally. potentially a 15 to 20% bioavailability to near 100 you know, now, now what you're feeding is being digested. It's being used by your horse. It's less product that a you have to buy to produce, and as a consumer, it's less money that's transferred down to us, right? When we're buying the forty pound bags of feed, you better believe it. That's that's very very critical. And then that so that's the second most important thing that I, that I have in this product. Now the third thing is something I've used for twenty five or thirty years, and that's the uh, Ascophyllum nodosum. That is shows up on the tag as dried kelp meal. It, it it's a special species of uh, kelp meal or seaweed, if you will, that uh, I've been involved with help and you know following and working with the research on that, going way back into the uh, early 90s. I worked with a company out of Nova Scotia that provides that uh, that particular product. And a lot of that work was done uh, over the years at Texas Tech University uh, in the equine field and and in the bovine field, both. But uh, discovering several things about it. And and here's where we get to where we find some of the effects that I talk about. The safety is, is, one is, it kills E. coli and other gram-negative bacteria in the hindgut that those are the kind of organisms that cause the negative side of fiber digestion. Here's a little fiber digestion uh, sidebar. In the ruminant animal or in the hindgut of a horse, they're they're the same. The the same things take place. If 
they are very pH dependent. If you have a, uh, a slightly acid but close to neutral pH in the rumen or cecum, you have a certain populations of bacteria that grow in it, we call them gram, gram positives. And they are very efficient at converting fiber into uh, volatile fatty acids that provide the energy and building blocks for everything goes on the body energy with. If that pH drops and becomes more acid, it can, it can go down from where it should be in the five and a half to six, six and a half. That's not a bad range, but when it drops down into that uh, below five and gets to four, four and a half or something like that, it's getting fairly acid. A different population takes over. The gram-positive bacteria start to die off and the gram-negative bacteria start to flourish and they are the gas formers. They are the acid formers and they are the ones that cause the, the, the low fiber digestibility and they uh, cause the digestive problems we see. Okay, so if we can eliminate that, we have more efficient fiber digestibility. Here's one of the research sides on that. The fiber digestibility has been documented to improve by at least 15 to 20% with the presence of this in, in a ruminant animal. And like I said, the ruminant and the cecum are the same. Uh, that is why most people, when they start feeding total equine, will, even at the four pound weight and hay, they talk about how the horses decrease their hay intake voluntarily. Yes. Hay intake yes. by 15 to 30%. Yes. The, then this drove, really drove it home to me when the bull people came to me, the bucking bull people, and said, uh, uh, you've done so many good things for those horses. Why can't you help us? I said, hey. <laughs> hey, what about us? Yeah, don't leave us out of here. So I said, uh, okay. So I made total bull. Total bull is very, very similar to total equine. Uh, it's slight difference as far as a little more starch because they can handle it better. Um, and a little, little higher trace number program. But I took this uh, formula and I made some and I went to these people that asked me and I said, okay, here it is. I want you to feed five pounds of this a day. They said, you're crazy. I said, oh, why? Because I'm feeding 15 pounds of grain to these bulls to keep them in shape. They said, oh, that's fine. Okay, said, still five pounds for us. <laughs> I want you to feed five pounds of this. Now, you asked me to do this, so I'm going to ask you to do it the way I say. And so they, they did, and within a week to 10 days, I had, I had calls. They'd say, um, my bulls almost quit eating hay. What's going on here? I said, well, how do the bulls look? I said, well, they look pretty good. They just little get it up. And I said, well, how are they acting? Oh, they're feeling and acting great. I said, What's your problem? I was going to say, so why we have this conversation? Yeah. And, <laughs> and so when all the smoke there, they, they tell me, they say, well, I'm feeding five pounds of your feed. And my bowls have dropped by, they were, some of them say anywhere from 30 to 50% in their hay intake. That's incredible. Just voluntarily. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. And that's when it really hit home as we, what we had going here. 
And so uh, we've really uh, focused in on that, and we're doing more research on that right now uh, at, at a small college in here in Texas. But that, that's very, very critical to the animal, not just, not just because it's good for the environment or good for the pocketbook, but the less digested material an animal has to deal with every day is beneficial. Yes. Uh, to the digestive tract, just the wear and tear on the digestive tract. Yeah, less to deal with. Right. And performance-wise, here's, here's a little calculation that I like to go through with people. Because uh, 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 I have people tell me, man, started on total equine and my horse looks like it lost weight. Yes, it did. It, and and I, I didn't really have the numbers on this exactly, but uh, I, I, I knew that what was happening, but I, I didn't have the proof. When I was doing some research out of Seoul Ross University this, this, uh, this fall, uh, last fall, they called me because uh, I had uh, some horses on the four pound a day plus hay. Then I had, I had them do some with the eight pounds a day and no hay. They called me and said, uh, those horses on eight pounds a day, they lost 70 pounds the first week. They said, uh, are you sure you want to continue with this? And I, said, I laughed at him. I said, well, yes, they should have lost that much weight. Here, let me tell you, let me explain the math behind that. When, when they did that, those horses were eating 25 pounds of hay, okay? And for every pound of dry hay that they eat, they have to drink three and a half pounds of water keep that soluble in the gut. And you take 25 pounds times three and a half, that's about 80-some pounds yeah. of total adjusta. You're looking plus at 10 gallons four, of water. Yeah, plus the four pounds mm-hmm. of a total equine and another three and a half pounds. So there's another 15. So we're looking at you know 95, maybe 100 pounds of, mm-hmm. of weight that they have to have in there every day simply to keep that that digestive tract working properly. Now, let's, let's go back to eight pounds of total equine times three and a half uh, pounds of water. So they were eating the eight pounds plus about 20-some pounds of, or about 35 pounds of total intake weight-wise instead of the 95 or 100. Yeah. Now, let's see. I think that's about 60 or 70 that- pounds. <laughs> The math starts to kind of add up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, then they were then they were comfortable with it, uh, and they proceeded. But that's what that's really what's happening now. Performance wise, let's look at that. If you uh, take a typical horse, like a barrel horse, you know that a barrel horse is going to weigh thousand, maybe eleven hundred pounds. Pretty good sized barrel horse. I guess some of them are getting bigger nowadays, but uh, just take that and. Uh, all of a sudden, you you take sixty or seventy pounds out of that off that horse of weight that it's carrying. Yes, in a sport where you're getting down to the thousands of a second. Yeah, you know, it makes a difference on on just how they can move. Uh, and these uh, these bucking horses, if they're carrying that much less weight, I think they can jump just a little bit higher. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Absolutely, so, it's true. So, so what I've done is uh, this same concept is, is going through my uh, total bull program and total goat, total lamb, you know, total deer, all of that, 
we're seeing the, exactly the same responses in every species, and it has to do with that same basic thing that we started with. Uh, nothing has changed, and the products are very similar, yeah. but uh, the performance has dramatically improved in all these species. So where can folks go if they want to regurgitate a lot more of this information that we covered over this last hour, uh, as far as websites, social media, ways they can inquire or, or maybe reach out to you if they had further questions? Okay. Yeah. Well, first of all, they can go to totalfeeds.com. That is our website, totalfeeds.com. From there, you can go to each product, and it will show you basically the brochure with all the information that we have is on that brochure, or they can go to, to YouTube uh, slash Total Fades videos, and we have like 300, right at 300 videos on YouTube that uh, explain all the things that have been going on. We have uh, piles and piles of testimonials and comments by by people uh, that that are wanting to share their story, they tell what they've seen with our programs. Then uh, I have, there's several training videos on there that, uh, that are, you know, uh, that I did for training dealers, but we put it on YouTube for anybody to see. Then we have every Rural America live show that I've done uh, on RFD TV they're out there, and we have guests. We have a technical training during those shows. They're they're all already on there, and so that's where they can get all that kind of information. As far as social media, uh, we are on Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, and uh, if they watch that, they they can go to the Total Feeds page. Uh, and, and they can follow us there. Sadie Carter, we have a young lady that does all that for us. And uh, she she puts new stuff out there as it comes along, comments, feedback from customers. If customers want to uh, uh, to have their, their story shared in social media or anywhere else, all they have to do is contact uh, Sadie at, at uh, uh, Calamity Media. Uh, LLC.com and they, they can uh, send their story to Sadie and, and she'll share that with the world if someone really wants to. So that's how we market. We, we do marketing through, uh, through all those avenues. Yeah. It's so advantageous, right? Rather than paper media or traditional avenues, you know, we, we, we do hardly any paper media yeah. today. Yeah. We just don't get the response from that. We do a lot of TV work. Yeah. Um, I, I'm on RFD. On, I, I'm on shows where they can see us on uh, Chris Cox show, Craig Cameron's show, uh, Steve Lanfitt's show, uh, Penny Gilly's show. And that's something we didn't touch on, and that's our Total People Plus that uh, is the spinoff of the, the animal program. She's our marketing, a national marketing assistant, um, celebrity, I should say, mm-hmm. Uh that uh, we work with and we're on her show every so often and she's on my uh, Rural America Live shows on trial to to talk about Total People Plus which is a phenomenal product and we're getting unbelievable feedback on that 
uh, where people are telling us the effects that that has in them that the animals have not been able to tell us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because because it's basically it is the horse feed in a bottle. Good stuff. Good stuff. So I like to wrap every episode with uh, we kind of call it the legacy question, right? So. If you were to give advice to somebody following you down the same trail of life that you've just traveled, what advice would you give to them, whether it be in any kind of animal nutrition or maybe in the, the entrepreneur world? Okay. As far as, as nutrition, I, I talk to young people about this all the time. I love to talk to young uh, uh, college students uh, or going, going to go to colleges. Get all of the basic science in chemistry and physiology you can get your hands on. If you want to be a nutritionist, nutrition is is to learn once you understand the chemistry and physiology first. That's what I tell people. Uh, that's what I use and dwell on more than any part of my education every day is I use the biochemistry and physiology. I, I can take any book and look at nutritional requirements. That's that's not a problem. Uh, then get get all the experience uh, you can with animals. You've got to understand the animal to do a good job. And that's where my lifetime experience with them came. Um, as far as the entrepreneurial part, uh, that's, that's very simple. You find what you believe in, you find your passion, you, you develop your own program or products or products, and then you, uh, you work hard at it. And the thing that I have worked with many upstart companies over my years have come to me and said, can you help me help us market this? And 90% of them have failed. Why did they fail? They failed because uh, they they had a product and they got it started and they said, no, the world should buy this product. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend a lot of money on advertising. I'm going to spend a lot of money on sales force and, and put it out there and the world will come to me. Yeah. They didn't come. And they were broke. They were broke before they got started. I can I can give you a list of several products that are in in the closet. Yeah, that could have could have been good products, uh, and and they'll never be seen by the public uh, because because they did that. My philosophy was when I first started because I was consulting, and because uh, you know I had very limited resources and I couldn't go borrow a bunch of money. I didn't have investors, so I said. Okay, I'm going to sell product. Then I'm going to take that money and buy more product and sell it. And then when when I when I get a little uh, ways ahead, I'm going to do a little advertising. And I did the advertising. I, I was lucky enough, almost by accident, to get into the television side. Yeah. And once. Uh, once I was able to explain my technology in front of millions, of hundreds of thousands or millions of people, I don't know how many were watching, but <laughs> the floodgate opened. And so I spent very little money up front. And then as, I, as my business grew, 
I started spending more money and more money and more money because I had more to to work with. I didn't spend myself into, uh, you know, killing the company. Yes, yes. That could that could have happened. Which is easy to do, right? Every bank's willing to lend a little money. And that's why so many people uh, see they see a new thing come along like I did, and they uh, say, mm, "Yeah, well, that's it. It won't last long." be gone in a while and it could have been gone because of uh, like I said uh, early on well, I, I had a partner to start with and that cost me money and and that could have I could have just gone back to consulting and said ah, I'm not going to fight that anymore but but I was bullheaded as <laughs> most people will tell you yes sir <laughs> and uh, they uh, um, then the uh, we went along, and when I started shooting it, I had two guys come to me, foreigners actually, they, that were living here and been working here. They came and said, "Well, we like your program. We would like to market it for you." I didn't think back quick enough, and I succumbed to trying that again. Mm-hmm. That was a gross disaster. Yeah, uh, because nobody, nobody can sell what you develop yourself. Correct. Like they just like don't know you it. You can. Yeah. Yeah. They just don't know mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And then so so then when we came along and the thing started taking off, I think it was the year two thousand eight. It um, I, I I started extruding this or two thousand seven. I don't remember which. Anyway, then it started to explode and and for for the last since that day. I have had nothing but positive growth years. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's incredible and, the, the the product and I'll tell you personally, right, because of and this isn't a sales pitch on my part, but uh because of the success I've seen the product produce in my horse, I mean, I have literally given bags of total equine away to people who who have that same question, you know, I'm having this issue or that issue. I'm like, hey, just give it a shot. Just give it a shot. If it doesn't work, so be it, right? Yeah, um, right. <laughs> and then not too shortly after that, usually I end up with a phone call like, hey, where'd you get this? And I steer him <laughs> to the local dealer, and, and that's all she wrote. Yeah. You know, the product speaks for itself. It's it's a right. wonderful product, in my opinion. And, th- and then the other thing is, on entrepreneurs, if they, if they want to make the things work, you've you got to keep your overhead low. Yeah. I, uh, I'm sitting here in, in uh, what used to be a bedroom in my home. And this is our headquarters. And it's a 14 by 14 room. And in one corner, one across is uh, my son, Corey, that is, um, he takes care of all of the marketing and, and uh, the creative stuff. And, and right here next to me is my son, Eric, who uh, takes care of all of the logistics and trucking. And uh, on the other side of the house is in another bedroom, Margaret, my wife, has uh, her office and she has a shipping department that ships out the equine 15 and the total people plus and all the marketing material that are and uh so that's our our paid force then i contract i said earlier i contract um sadie carter to do our mass our social media mm-hmm. so we use part of her time i pay her for what she does i have a the uh, my accountant they do they do part of my uh, invoicing and stuff for me uh, on a part time basis uh, so I have no other paid employees my 
my structure is different than than most companies. I have no field staff. Yeah. I have four, 40 distributors nationwide, and those distributors are independent people who purchase the product and resell it. Mm-hmm. They make their they make their money with uh, uh, the uh, you know the uh, selling, and I don't have to watch over their shoulder. Yeah, yeah, shouldn't have to. They want to make some money. They they yeah, sell. Yeah, make it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and then they they resell to deers. I had no contracts with my distributors or deers. Awesome. I man. don't have to. I'll tell you, Harry, it's been a great hour spent with you. I always enjoy these conversations. I'm grateful for all the time that you've made for me personally, and obviously for us here at the show at Let Freedom Rain Podcast. It'll be interesting. Maybe maybe down the road we can uh, do a little bit more focused episode on this uh, Equine 15 once it gets out rolled out and and out to the masses and see what's become of that. That'd be great. Alrighty, sir. Well, we thank you very much for your time, and we're looking forward to everything that Total Feeds has to offer here in the future. Thank you. Have a good one, sir. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.